If you paid attention to the song service this morning, though we did not talk about the message through the week this week, Jason and I, uh, what you heard in song was full salvation. Now, full salvation is not a term that you hear us use or hear used much in this day and age. And uh, I understand that whenever I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, that I was fully saved as far as the security of my soul. However, uh, the moment of our salvation is not supposed to be the ending of our relationship with Christ. It is supposed to be the beginning of our relationship with Christ. And so uh, it used to be, and there were even... Uh, you hear Lester Roloff jump on the radio all the time and uh, and sing, praise the Lord for full salvation. God still sits upon the throne. And I know that the blood goes deeper, deeper than the stains have gone. Uh, and so, and that's so true, but we've kind of lost sight today of, of, of emphasizing full salvation from uh, our pulpits and from our classrooms. It's not that it's an intentional thing. I think it just... Uh, we kind of re-terminate, we, we use different terminology sometimes, and and I think what you'll see this morning is what you've heard sung this morning. We behold God, Jesus saves, uh, and then we surrender our life to Him, and because of the grace of God, we are not only brought into the family of God at the new birth, but we are also groomed and grown throughout the course of our lifetime so that we are molded into the image of our Savior. Uh, and so that is... Uh, full salvation. When God has taken me from a lost condition and birthed me into his family and then trained me and brought me along to maturity and then used my life for the furtherance of the gospel and for the edifying of the saints, not as a pastor, as a Christian, uh, until he brings me into his presence. And so that is the journey or the path of salvation. And we speak of salvation as the moment of trusting Christ as our Savior. But really and truly, salvation is the entire process. It is the entire journey. He did not just save me from the punishment of my sin, but he saved me from the power of that sin over me in, in my life. And as he set me free from the power of that sin, then he has given me liberty to pursue him and to serve him uh, and to, to be glorifying him along the path. Uh, and I think that we'll see that as we go through <clears throat> our the message this morning, our text this morning. We do need to back up into chapter number five, and we're going to read a few more verses there, uh, because when chapter six begins, we then as workers, we then, well, what came before that? We have to understand what was said prior to in order for us to properly understand uh, the text this morning. So back up with me into chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians to verse number 14. For most of us, these will be familiar verses. If uh, you don't recognize it by reference, you'll recognize it as we start uh, getting into some of the scripture. If you're newer, hopefully this will kind of set the uh, the table for you a little bit so that it ties things together uh, a, a little bit more cleanly uh, and I can make things a little bit more clear this morning. In verse number 14 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And so we are constrained. To be constrained means uh, to, be, to be held in check, uh, to be governed. Uh, and so I want to be governed not by tyranny. I want to be governed by the love of Christ. For the love of Christ constraineth me. Why do I? Why does my life change? Why am I different now than I was before? Why is my value system different? Why is my worldview different? Why? What? What is the cause of uh, of guiding me on that path? And the answer is here in verse fourteen: For the love of Christ constraineth or governeth me. And so I want to be governed by. Uh, by the love of Christ, and that he died in verse 15 for all, uh, that they which should live not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And so a couple of things here, if you have uh, people in your life, or if you have attended a more and more Baptist churches or kind of embracing the idea of Calvinism. It only takes one verse like this to refute that heresy. Uh, and by the way, it's not just false doctrine, it's heresy. Uh, and so he says right here, for he that died for all. 
He did not die for some. He did not die. He did not create some to die and go to hell. He created all to worship him, to fellowship with him, to bring glory to him. He died for all. Uh, And it's really, you have to so distort the scripture to get to that erroneous doctrine. Uh, the, and make it say things it does not say. For the, for and he that died for all that they which should live not henceforth unto themselves. In other words, once Jesus Christ saved my soul, I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I have an obligation as his child to bring honor and glory to him, to follow the guidelines of his uh, of what he said over me. Uh, and if you know if you live in my house, you live by my rules. When we became God's child, when we're birthed into God's grace, uh, then we have an obligation to follow God's commands. And in and, and, and truth, uh, every man, even lost men, have that obligation. And if they choose not to at some point, are going to stand before God in judgment. Uh, and so, and, uh, but we have an obligation to live for Him who died for us and rose again. Uh, and so it's not that Jesus comes and says, hey, uh, I have just decided that you're going to live for me. He sacrificed himself for us. We have life because he sacrificed his. We have life. We have victory. We have freedom from the bondage of our sin because he rose from the grave. Uh, and so when we understand, and then in verse 16, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when Jesus Christ saved me, the journey that he sets me on is the process of transforming me from the old man that I used to be into the new man that he desires for me to be. And at that moment, I have a new nature and my nature is regenerated in me. uh, And I am able now to commune with and to fellowship with my Savior so that the Holy Spirit can lead me, can speak to me, can teach me, can guide me uh, through the course of life. Uh, And verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And what he says here is, so Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God. He has given us, all of us, not pastors, not elders, not prophets, not priests, not apostles. He has given to us who have been reconciled the ministry of then reconciling others to him. That's our whole purpose in life. That's what God wants uh, to do and to accomplish in our life. Uh, And so, and then he says, to wit, or because of this, uh, be knowledgeable of this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, in verse 19, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. There's that ministry again. In verse 20, he continues that thought. Now, therefore, now then, we are ambassadors For Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And so I, as a reconciled child of God, have an obligation then to walk with God, to let God grow me into this new creature, realizing that what God is cultivating in my life and in my heart is not only a desire, but a fulfilling of my, of my obligation to then be pursuant to reconcile others. As his ambassador, I am to implore others to then be reconciled to God. And so we are to be about the business of what God has given us to do. We are an ambassador. We have been appointed. That's a term that we use in our government. Uh, We have ambassadors all over the world. An ambassador does not speak on his own behalf. An ambassador speaks on behalf of the head of his government. He does not have the right or the privilege to say what he thinks or what he even agrees with and disagrees with. He is there solely to represent the agenda and the wishes of his government. I do not, as a Christian, have the right to go out to the lost world and say, well, God says this, but I really don't agree with that part. No, if God said it, 
I am his I am his representative. I do not represent myself. And when I begin to interject my own feeling and my own thought process and, and what I haven't learned uh, and what I haven't reconciled in my heart yet, then what I'm doing is I am sending a state of confusion. I am sending a mixed signal, a mixed message, and I have no right to do that. I'm an ambassador. Say, well, pastor, what do I do when I don't have that figured out yet? Just be honest and say, you know, I'm still working on that myself. I don't have to always have all the answers. And by the way, when you share your faith with someone, they don't necessarily expect you to have every answer. And most people appreciate the honesty of saying, you know, I've been a Christian, maybe even for a long time, but there are still things that God's teaching me along the way. And so, but we're an ambassador. And it's important that we realize that everything that we do in life, we are representing the one who gave himself for us. And we are to be growing into his image. I'm going to get to that more as we go along here. By the way, this is going to be super long an introduction and just going through the text. And then I'm going to give you about three or four points of just application uh, at the end. And so if you're keeping notes, you're going to get a lot of, uh, a lot of just information and then i'm going to come back and uh and help you fill in your blanks when we get down to the body of the outline uh so now then we're ambassadors verse 21 for he hath made him to be sin for us god made jesus to be sin for us in other words he became our sin and don't misunderstand this what jesus christ was on the cross though he never is not god what god punished on calvary's cross was not jesus but our sin he became our sin, that he might bear the wrath of God for us. God made him sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what is the purpose of him being made sin for us? That we might be made the righteousness of God. Now, my friends, that transcends just a new birth. That is bigger than just oh, I put my faith and trust in Christ. I'm on my way to heaven. Now I'm going to go out and do things my way. This is speaking to a full salvation, a discipled life, a life that is committed to the cause of Christ. It is what God seeks to do in the life of every person that finds salvation. And that brings us uh, to our text this morning and here in verse number one. We then... Because God has made Jesus to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Because we are a new creature in Christ, because we are an ambassador of Christ, we then, as workers together with him, beseech or beg you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Those are pretty strong words. Because what he's saying is this, he's saying... If you here, and if I was the Apostle Paul this morning, and you were the church at Corinth this morning, a problematic church that the Apostle Paul is strongly rebuking in his two books to them for many things that they have gotten wrong and have, and have, and have kind of grown in a wrong area in, then what he's coming to them is saying is, listen, whatever you've got going on in your life, wherever you are in the realm of this spectrum, Whenever you look at all of this, as I stand before you, the Apostle Paul is saying, that if you are in a place where you know that Jesus Christ died for your sin and you've received him, and you are not being discipled, you are not growing, you are not representing him, you are not following after him, you are not allowing God to work in your life, you are not making a plea to those around you to be reconciled to God, then is the grace of God bestowed upon you in vain. It is wasted. Now, it's not wasted in the sense that my soul has been uh, saved from my sin. But it's wasted in the sense that I have never fulfilled the purpose for which God created me and reconciled me. Now understand this morning, if you, are, if you are here and your life is miserable and your marriage is miserable and your parenting is miserable and your work life is miserable, may I ask you this morning if you are a true ambassador of Jesus Christ? Because if I am not, 
then I am not fulfilling what God has given me to be. I am not fulfilling what God has made me to be. And nothing in creation will ever be satisfied, valuable, or bring profit to its creator until it does that which it's created to do. If I want God to be honored and glorified by my life, then I must fulfill the purpose of not only my creation, but my reconciliation to be an ambassador for him. And Paul says that if I'm not doing that, then the grace of God, I have received the grace of God in vain. Now, I'm trying to be unkind this morning, but that's what the apostle Paul said to the church of Corinth. And the same principle applies to us today. If I'm a Christian this morning and I am not actively pursuing Jesus Christ, if I am making excuses for my failures rather than owning them and letting Christ grow me and change me, then I have had the grace of God bestowed upon me in vain. Verse number two. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Now succored is not a word that we use, especially uh, not in this sense, but it means simply to bring aid to, to relieve or to help. And so the Apostle Paul is saying here, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I come to your aid. Have I brought help and assistance to you? I'm right here for you. In verse number three, Giving, or let's just continue on in verse number two here. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So what is this? the point of this, this text? And this verse two is really the crux of what I want to focus on this morning, though we have to look at the rest of this to understand what it's saying. Now is the accepted time. I would say this morning to you that if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that today is the accepted time. If you're here this morning and you have received Jesus as your Savior, but you are not walking with him as you know that you should, today is the accepted time to make that right. If you're here this morning and you are down and discouraged and defeated and you've been trampled on and you don't have the strength to get up, the Apostle Paul here on the behalf of the Lord is saying, I have come to your aid. I will come to you. I will heal you. I will lift you up. I will pick you up. I will put your foot on that rock and I will be your fortress. Today is the accepted time to confess and forsake and to embrace the God that has given you everything. That's what God is saying to us. Now as we continue here, he, he gives us what that looks like practically. Where is this supposed to take place? Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Now that's a powerful statement as well. How we represent the Lord makes a huge impact on those around us. If I am someone uh, who has... Uh, not kind, someone that's angry, someone that's bitter, someone that's got whatever, all of these kind of negative character traits in my life, these sins that have kind of taken over, then what I am doing here is I'm giving offense. May not intend to, but I give offense. What am I supposed to do here? Giving no offense in anything. Why? That the ministry be not blamed. Because here's what happens. Someone comes in, and my anger's got the best of me today. And I display an angry spirit. Then I have given an offense. It's at our place of worship. It's at our place of assembly as Victory Baptist Church. Then what have I done? I have made it easy for someone that is new or someone that is struggling Someone maybe that's even been here for a very long time, but their, their life is not in tune with the Lord at the moment. I have given them an excuse to say, I'm done with this. I'm on my way. So we have to be cautious of that. And every Christian has a responsibility. Every member of Victory Baptist Church and every church has a responsibility uh, that we give no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Now, the reality is, is that we are going to be offensive at times. 
And by the way, I cannot rightfully, truthfully preach the whole counsel of God without the Word of God being offensive to you at some times. It offends me sometimes when I'm studying it. But the problem is, is that the reason I'm offended is because it's pointing out something in my life that I need to change. And rather than getting angry about it and being stubborn about it and saying, hey, I'm not going to let this affect me and how dare you bring it up, I need to see what God's message is and humble and submit myself to it, that the grace of God is not wasted upon me in vain and that I am grown and nurtured and cultivated that I might become a better ambassador for him. Notice verse 4, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Everything that we do, we should be approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Now, approving, we think of in terms of, I put my stamp of approval on this. But that's not what the word here means. The word here means uh, to show, to prove. In other words, uh, to, to put it to the test, and by putting it to the test, prove its truth, prove its worth, prove its value. It means to establish, it means to exhibit Ultimately, it means to be composed of. Okay, so what he's saying here, in every every step of my full salvation, but in all things approving ourselves as the minister of God, as I come to trust Christ as my Savior, as I begin to be discipled, as I'm growing in His grace, as I reach the place of being an ambassador for him, as I'm bringing someone that's bringing glory to him, that in all of the things, all of the areas of my life, in every step of the way, as the grace of God has grown me, that I am approving myself as a minister of God. I am established, ultimately, that I am composed of. In other words, it goes from a point of, hey, I've got to think about this and do it, all the way to the process and through the process of training myself and letting God train me to where it becomes the essence of who I am. Who am I? If you've been saved any length of time at all, the answer to that question should be, I am a representative of Jesus Christ. I am an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am dead to myself. I am alive in Christ. I am embracing and finding victory in my life and gaining every day more and more understanding. Now he continues. In. I've taken here in my Bible, I've circled everywhere the the word in at every point here. Because this is where I am to be proving in much patience. In afflictions. So what he's saying is, in my cause, in the, in, the trans, in the way of my life, that I am going to have conflict. There's going to be affliction. Where am I supposed to be proving myself as a minister of God? In patience, in afflictions, in necessities. When I have maybe things that I need that I've got to go without, or things that I have to work a little harder to obtain, or things that I have to work a little harder to overcome in my life. In necessities. In distresses. We all understand what it means to be distressed, to be put in a place of duress in stripes. And by the way, that's talking about not talking about wearing an old style prison garment. That talks about being beaten for the cause of Christ. That's counter. It's a counter to our thinking in our culture. But do you know that today there are more Christians being persecuted physically and executed for their faith than at any point in time in history? In imprisonments. In tumult, a tumult is just a time of disorder. It could mean a riot. It also could mean in the aftermath of a storm, kind of like what we went through uh, with Harvey. You could describe that period of time as tumultuous. It was a tumult. In tumult, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. And so where am I supposed to be proving these things? Where am I supposed to be validating my love for God and my service to God in all of these things? Now, how do I do it? So he's saying, this is where you do it. Now he changes the focus and says, this is how you do it. And again, here you want to circle every, every time the word by, by pureness. So I'm supposed to handle... All of this list of things, afflictions, necessities, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings, I'm supposed to handle it by pureness. What is my response to be? It is to be a pure response. Pure to the truth of the Word of God. Pure to the working of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
pure to answering if the Holy Spirit in control and not rearing up and losing control and letting my flesh lash out. By pureness, by knowledge, I have an obligation to continue to learn. Knowledge is simply the acquisition of facts. By long-suffering, don't be easily dissuaded. Don't give up easily. Stick with the program. By kindness, by the Holy Ghost. It's interesting to me that he puts that here in the middle because really and truly there's not any of this that we can do outside of the help of the Holy Spirit of God. By the Holy Ghost. It is letting that Holy Spirit that God put in our life, in our heart, at the moment of our salvation, that he might develop all of these things in our life. By un, by love unfeigned. Unfeigned just simply means unfake. Unput upon. A genuine love for the brethren. A genuine love for the Savior. A genuine love for sinners that he died for. A genuine love for everyone that God puts in my path. Some people are easy to love. Some people are difficult to love. Sometimes you're easy to love. Sometimes you're difficult to love. Sometimes I'm easy to love. Uh, my wife hasn't figured out when that time is yet. Uh, and sometimes I'm difficult to love. Uh, but we, uh, we all have these times in our life. Then he tells us, by the word of truth. Where do I get that knowledge? Where do I get that ability? By the word of God. By the power of God. See, I can't do it in my own strength. How am I going to ever get this done? By the Holy Spirit, by, un, by real love, by the word of God, by the power of God, and by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, with the sword in one hand and with the shield in the other. I am protected from the darts of the enemy, and I am ready to go to combat and to fight those things in my life that conquer me. We think of taking up that sword in the Christian armor and we think about going to war against an enemy, but we forget when we go to battle that the greatest enemy that we face is ourselves. That's why he says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, I believe that the word of God uh, is sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It divides me. I need the word of God to cut away that in my life which hinders my walk with him. By honor, by dishonor, by evil report and good report. And he continues down the list here. Now, having laid that all out there, we understand this morning <coughs> that obviously as a pastor and as uh, the staff members of the church that and the deacons of the church have a ministry. But, the, but really the point that I've been making for the last 20 minutes is that everybody has a ministry that every Christian is obligated to have a ministry for the glory of God. Collectively, as a church, we have a ministry. Paul here is exhorting the church that they collectively, as a church, receive not the grace of God in vain. But they will embrace their position and their responsibility, and they will not waste their ministry, and they will not allow their flesh to ruin their ministry. And as we come this morning, we need to be mindful that we do not allow uh, the way that we live and behave and act to ruin the ministry that God has given us. The window of opportunity to reach the lost individual is limited. He's saying here, in essence, do not squander your opportunity. The opportunity that I have uh, to go to God and have a prayer answered uh, may be limited. The opportunity that I have to obtain his power uh, might be limited. Uh, I do not know what opportunities God is going to bring my way or when he's going to bring them. But it's imperative that when he does it, I seize upon the opportunity. In Isaiah chapter 49 and verse number 80 says, Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and that sucker word there again, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. Speaking here of his promise to Israel, we now are a picture of that promise that God has given us to give and be an example to the desolate heritages, to those who live without the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be their example. He said, I have heard thee in the time accepted. I have helped you. And now it's decision time. 
Now it's time to decide, am I going to accept what God has given me or reject it? Am I going to accept his salvation? Am I going to accept his help? Am I going to accept his call? Am I going to accept uh, the challenge to bring honor and glory to him by simply humbling myself, dying to self, and letting God live through me? That's what God wants to accomplish in our life. It's decision time. We have a responsibility in verse 3 to give no offense. We have a responsibility in verse 4 to prove ourselves. We have a responsibility in verse number 6 to be real. We have a responsibility in verses 8 through 10 to be topside. What I mean by topside, we heard that, Sonia and I heard that a lot uh, going through college, that you want to you want to be topside, stay topside. In other words, I can either live my life dwelling on all of the bad things in my life, all the failures in my life, all the problems in my life, uh, and it's not that they need to be ignored and not dealt with, but I can let that become the driving force of my life and the overriding factor that defines me, or I can walk with God. I can be and I can choose to take the high road. I can choose to see God in everything. I can choose to take ownership for my failures rather than blame shifting them to someone else so that the Holy Spirit of God can deal with them in my life so that I can be set on the right course that I might be a worthy ambassador and that the gospel will not be given to me and the grace of God given to me in vain. These are all things that we know. The question becomes, when do I take that next step? And the answer is, is that today is the accepted time. I do not like heights. I, I at times have to do things or have had to do things where I had to work in heights and I got somewhat used to it and got a little more comfortable with it. But when I step away from it, I get uncomfortable with it again real fast. And so there was, uh, you know, times in my life where I've had to do things. I worked in college. I had a job where I had to uh, work up on top of a 50-foot silo, which meant I had to climb the ladder 50 feet up the side of that silo every day for a considerable period of time. I got that down pretty well. It was okay. Then they wanted me to dangle off the side of that thing on a rope that was connected just to one bolt on the side uh, and with no rappelling training and paint that thing, and that I did not do. When I joined the Marine Corps and went to boot camp, I remember going to the confidence course. They call it the confidence course because if you survive it, you will be confident that then you then can do anything. And so uh, there are several obstacles on that that caused me to pause. They don't like that. Drill instructors don't like you to pause when you're supposed to keep moving. And so there's a structure that's got telephone poles, uh, and it's the first thing that you come through that's just like really... If you've got a problem with heights, it's just like really fearful. Brother Dale knows what I'm talking about. Uh, and it goes up about it's probably 60 or 70 feet. And you've got two telephone poles that stick straight up that high and then going across probably about five feet apart. And you've got to climb up them and over them. And I'm looking at that thing and I'm thinking there is no way in the world that I'm going to survive that. And so... <clears throat> I'm, I, I make the little couple of jump things before we get there, and I get there, and it just so happens that even in my backslidden condition that the Lord was looking out for me because the line got backed up really long, and the drill instructors came and started grabbing people at the back of the line and bypassing them around that particular thing. Their intent was to make us come back and do it again later, but I got spared from that one thing. But it wasn't the end of the day. Another thing, we come, we did some other things, and there was this other telephone pole built structure that was probably about 35 feet up. You had to climb up that, and then you had to walk across it. I got across there okay, not too much trouble. I was kind of keeping up with the guy in front of me. And then it went to an A-frame, uh, and that was up about another 20 feet. And then about six or eight feet out was a rope hanging. And so you had to climb all the way up, and you had to climb out there. Then you had to jump out and grab the rope and climb down. Well, I made it up to the top without any hesitation, but when it came time to jump out and grab that rope, I sat there for a minute. I had to think about this. Now I've got drill instructors at my feet, uh, you know, 60 feet below me screaming. And I finally, and I'm trying to think, my leg's pretty long. I'm wondering if I can hook that rope and get it over here so that I can just kind of swing out. But to no avail, finally it got to the point where I just had to jump. And so I did. 
I made it down there, and then I made it through the next couple of things, and then there's another one that's up, and it's a wire. It's about 40 feet, and it's a wire that goes down. That one at least is across water, so if you fall, you're not going to die or be paralyzed. So I get on there, and you start belly first, head first, head down. You're going at a downward angle, and you hook your foot on it, and you kind of go down, and then when they tell you, you've got to reverse, and so you've got to swing your whole body up, and they tell you before you start, if you don't make it on the first try, you're going to end up in the water. Very few people ever recover from that they lose their grip it's a slick plastic thing and so i get there well i'm bigger than the average guy that's there my body's a lot longer and even though i was really skinny at that point in time there was still a big difference between uh, a couple of hundred pounds and 150 pounds so i make the swing and i'm handling this pretty good and my foot slips off and i go back to swinging and they start in again I got enough momentum going back and forth. I was able to get my foot up and down there, and I'm thinking, oh, finally. Then I get to the last thing is the rappelling tower, 50 feet, climb the tower, no big deal. Get to the top of the rappelling tower. They've already taught us how to tie our harness, so we tie our harness. They're checking everything to make sure it's just right. Uh, you're on the edge of this tower uh, overlooking the whole base in the San Diego airport, uh, and they take the little D-ring there, and they take two little pieces of 5-8-inch rope, and they clip it in there, and they wrap it once and clip it again, uh, and then they tell you to get to the side. So you go to the side of the tower, and you walk yourself out until you're in a seated, uh, what looks like a seated position, and then when they tell you it's okay, then you push off and go down. Well, I didn't push hard enough, so they pulled the rope tight and made me dangle for a while. So the next time I pushed harder and I got down, everything was good. I survived. I thought, I'm going to Camp David. I'm never going to have to do this kind of thing again. So then I have a first sergeant at Camp David that is on all of the recruiting posters, probably even still to this day. I'll never forget him. And I don't remember people that well. I don't remember names particularly well. But First Sergeant Kenneth Capper, I will never forget. He was not just a Marine. He was a Force Recon Marine. Okay, so in the Marine Corps, there is a regular reconnaissance battalion, which is insane. And then there's Force Recon, which is beyond insane. They're Delta Force, Navy SEAL, they all train together. They're, they're essentially, and the Air Force has a, a rescue team, that they all are essentially at that same elite level. I, I still to this day have some of their PT cards that I got out of a book that he gave me. And I'm thinking, there is no way, this is insanity. But these guys did it. He decides that we need to have some real Marine Corps training. And so they bring up two CH-46 helicopters. They get out these little scrawny pieces of rope and they teach us how to tie a harness so we're all the whole company squatted down doing all our thing tying our harness trees in the northeast are not as tall as the trees in the west but they're a lot taller than the mesquite shrubs that we have around here and so we get in the helicopter and we go up and we're Sonia was there actually got to come and watch that we're several feet 20 or 30 above the top of the trees and they kick out the rope. And then they hook us up, and it's the same procedure as the rappelling tower, except you're much higher. So I go down, and I'm thinking, oh, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't nearly as frightening as the tower. For some reason, the helicopter gave me security, and the fact that my wife was there watching, so I had to man up, uh, it didn't hurt either. So I made it to the bottom. And then they said, if you would like to go again, you can go again. Well, it actually was pretty fun. So I volunteered to go again and then until we got up there. And then I'm thinking, this is really dumb. And then I noticed, I'm standing on, I'm getting to the end of the ramp of this helicopter. And I noticed that this time the guy doesn't just hook me into the rope and let it go out. This time he takes and spools a bunch of it by my foot. So I didn't think much of that. I don't know what he's doing. So then you go the same procedure. You're supposed to walk yourself out and get in position. Well, except whenever you go there and you have all of that slack spooled at your feet, you just fall, free fall, until you get to the end of that line. And so for about 20 feet, I just fell out of the helicopter. To this day, I have taken off in helicopters. I've never landed in one. And I go down this rope. I'm going to tell you, whenever I got there at every one of those stations, when I got to the end of the ramp of the helicopter, now was the accepted time. 
And I'm just saying this morning, if you have things in your life that are overcoming you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have but you've never surrendered to him, taken a step, committed to being discipled, if you've never shared your faith with another person, if you've never gotten victory over these areas of your life, now is the accepted time. Tomorrow's not the accepted time. A week from now is not the accepted time. There is no time like the present. Now, I said I had three or four points this morning. There's actually five in your notes, and I'm going to give these to you in about, in about ten minutes. I'm going to go really fast here. This is the message. I am a disciple, an ambassador, and if I do not do what God gave me to do, then I have made, if I don't become the righteousness of God in Christ, then I have made the grace of God vain. He tells me how. He tells me where. He tells me he'll help. He gives me all this truth. Now, just just five thoughts really fast, and they've all got three, two or three subpoints, and so we're going to really move quickly here. I would say to you this morning, very first of all, that now is the accepted time to be saved. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, now is the accepted time of salvation. Why? You need to be saved before it's too late. Before it's too late. You know, I pick on Brother Paul when he, when he gets here. It seems like since he's been back every week, I've said something. I'm not trying to, but I'm, I just can't help but think when I think about this. That when he left out of here in an ambulance on January the 20th, 20th that should have been his physical person going to the hospital, and we should have been having a funeral. Because his spirit should have left from that pew or the lobby to heaven. If Brother Jerry hadn't been here, if people with previous prior military that had training hadn't been here, if Miss Nielda wasn't on duty in the emergency room that night, Brother Paul probably wouldn't be here this morning. What if that were you? And when you leave out of here today, you never make it home. I drove out Friday night after Reformers Unanimous and I turned on the Showlander Road and I noticed lights coming at me. I thought police officers got someone stopped up by the traffic light, but by I-10. There was a high-speed chase on. That little truck that was coming down probably didn't miss the nose of my truck by more than about two feet. There were about 10 or 12 police cars in hot pursuit after him. Five or six real close, and the others just, they just kept coming. I kept pulling over and get going. Here come another one. There is no guarantee, no matter how young or how healthy you are, that you will still be breathing when we reassemble tonight at 6.30. If Jesus Christ is not your Savior, do not put it off. Do not waste his sacrifice. Do not waste his resurrection power now is the accepted time. Trust him before it's too late. Realize, secondly, that you have to be saved. Secondly, subpoint wise, number one, you have to be saved God's way. It's not man's way. It's not religion's way. It is God's way. It is by faith, by grace, through faith. It is relying fully upon what Jesus Christ has done and not upon self. Be saved now while you're in danger. Well, Pastor, I don't really sense any danger. If you take another step without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you do so in peril. Do it while you're in danger. Secondly, this morning, now is the accepted time to be saved. Second, now is the time the accepted time to get right. This is just all practical application. Now is the accepted time to get right. If you're here this morning and you're backslidden, there is no time like right now to get your heart right with God, to confess your sin, and to forsake it. And listen, it doesn't mean a whole lot for us to trot down to an altar, be convicted, and say, God, forgive me for my sin if I have no intention of abstaining from my sin. True repentance will change my behavior. It'll change my attitude about my sin. Now is the accepted time to get right if I'm backslidden from God. I need to get right with God in the truth. 
I need to get right with God thoroughly. And I need to realize that the Father is waiting. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you and I, if we're not walking with Him, Christian, to come to Him so that He can make things right. He is waiting. Thirdly, this morning, now is the accepted time to surrender. And here's really probably the greatest obstacle to every thing that keeps a Christian from growing. We simply are unwilling to surrender our will to God's will. We're unwilling to surrender what God's desire is for our life from our own. Now is the accepted time to surrender. Surrender, first of all, to God's will. Surrender to serve Him. Surrender to being a part of a church family. He's commanded us to. Surrender to ministry. Be involved. Surrender to God's will. Not only should we be surrendered to God's will, but we must be surrendered to God's way, God's path, God's habits for our life, God's order of business, the way that He has laid forth for it to be done. By pureness, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. Fourthly this morning, consider that now is the accepted time to forgive. Forgive before you need forgiveness. I need to forgive before I need to be forgiven. If you're here this morning and someone has wronged you, forgive them. Pastor, they haven't asked. It doesn't matter. They're not here. It doesn't matter. They say they don't remember. It doesn't matter. Whether they have, haven't, whether they were wrong or not, it's all perception. You're not responsible for them. You're not responsible for their response. You're not responsible for what you do. And ultimately, it'll make you bitter. And you're going to live your whole life being consumed with bitterness against somebody that did something to you that they may not even remember that they did. And they certainly, at this point, don't care. And you can spend a lifetime in bitterness. And the person that you're bitter against can live their life happily as they as a, as a lark because they have no care just forgive. Thank God that Jesus Christ forgives. I'm grateful this morning that he forgives me because there are certainly things that I am not deserving of his forgiveness for. Forgive before you need forgiveness. Not only that, but forgive before forgiveness is asked for, as we've talked about. How is, what is this, why does this play in, Pastor? This plays in by proving ourselves as the ministers of God. How do I prove myself true? How do I prove myself a disciple? How do I prove myself as an ambassador? How do I prove myself as one who is experiencing the full salvation that Jesus Christ died to give me? By proving. There's no greater way to prove than to forgive. <laughs> Lastly, fifthly this morning, now is the accepted time to walk with God. When you get right down to it, if I can't do any of these other things, uh, maybe I've trusted him as my savior, but I just can't get any traction in the Christian life. Three thoughts here just quickly as we close. Am I walking with God? Do you pray? I mean, beyond, Lord, thank you for this food. Or beyond a prayer in an altar when you get convicted. Or beyond an emergency prayer whenever things are going and falling apart in your life and you all of a sudden are scrambling out of necessity to try to rally God to your side. I'm talking about do you pray? Do you have a relationship with God in prayer that's regular, that's normal, that's biblical? Do you have time that you spend with him, that you pour your heart out to him, that you stop and listen and allow him to pour his heart out to you? Do you Now is the accepted time to pray. Walking with God, I would say, secondly, do you study? When's the last time you picked up the Bible and studied it? You know what we did for about the first 30 minutes this morning? We studied about 15 or 20 verses. We kind of picked them apart. We took some words that were not common to our vernacular today and we defined them. I did heavy lifting. I went to my dictionary 
It's real difficult, you know, get a dictionary out. Even a couple of things that I wanted to verify this morning, I just, if I'm really thinking straight about this, I, I even just, in my office, uh, as I was praying and getting ready to come out, picked my phone up and hit a dictionary. Hit my Bible app and checked the Greek word and made sure that the root word was right so that it tied together and that the application was true, the word of God. Do you study? Have you? When's the last time you did more than pick up your Bible and read a couple of verses and feel like you had had your devotions with God for the day? When's the last time you took a subject and you picked it apart? When's the last time you took a chapter and you picked it apart? When's the last time you took a notepad and you wrote things down and you defined the word so that you gained not only, and I love what Brother Sam Davison said while he was here over and over and over again when he talked about not only what does it say, but what was the intent of the writer that God gave. I understand there were about 40 writers, but there's only one author. God is the author. The men were just the writers. What is the intent of the writer? Because the Holy Ghost of God gave him his intent as the author. Do you study? Lastly, I would say that now is the accepted time to attend. You cannot and I cannot be what God has commanded me to be if I am not faithful to come together and corporately worship him. We have been commanded to gather so much the more as we see the day approaching. Churches are gathering less, but our command from the scripture is to gather more. The more trouble there is out there, the more hostile the world grows to us, the more we need each other the more we need to come together in prayer, the more we need to come together in fellowship, the more we need to come together and worship, the more we need to come together and draw upon one, each, uh, one another, the more we need uh, for our leaders to be willing to come to us and rebuke us when we're out of line uh, and to set ground rules from us to help us stay intact uh, so that we have the right spirit to receive what a loving pastor or, or, or ministry leader uh, has to help us with rather than getting defensive and to cast it off or to get angry and bitter uh, and feel like uh, they're into our business. Listen, I have no desire to spend my time going around policing God's people. But on the other hand, if I see someone on a destructive course, I do have a biblical obligation to pull them aside and say, hey, you might want to think about this. Let me help you. How we respond to that proves how we respond to that gives us honor or dishonor gives us an evil report or a good report proves us to be deceivers or to be true where are we this morning wherever you are wherever you are in the scale of this whether you've never trusted Jesus, whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been growing for a while, maybe you're kind of sputtering along, maybe you're just outright backslidden against God and you know it, today is the accepted time to come to Christ and to reconcile all things. He went to the cross and he reconciled us and that we might reconcile others to God also. Do not allow the grace of God to go in vain in your life and in mine. Heavenly Father, as we close this morning.